What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kevin Valentin. And I'm the other host of the podcast. My name is Kyle Davro. Kev, we got some sort of green thing going on today for every, everybody that's listening on the audio side. Kevin and I have just green colored shirts. We didn't plan this or anything. It just kind of happened. But, you know, we're here once again. and We're rocking green on Thursday, Friday, whatever you want to call it. Here we go. Hey, man, it's, it's green in the booth Thursday, okay? This is what we're doing. We don't do it intentionally, but sometimes for those of you that do watch the YouTube videos, we're trying to appease the crowd. It's got a little darker, more gloomy green. I got the more bright, vibrant green. It depends on how you want to describe it, but still, that's the color for the day. What are we going to do? Exactly. So I know you kind of like that those like lighter greens and the, the turquoise and teal colors, but I typically like the uh, the darker greens. But that's just me. I actually got this one from our old job. I got this at Dick Sporting Goods when we worked together. I got this for like, I don't know, like 10 bucks or something. It was on clearance. And I originally gave it to my dad, but he said it was too tight fitting because he's a little bit heavier than me. Uh, sorry, Pop. Um, yeah, you called him fat, bro. No, no, no. Chill, 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 chill. He's mad dramatic. <laughs> he never listens to the audio, but in the off chance, Karma's going to be like, you know what? Let me listen to my son's podcast. Anyway, shout out to my pops. <laughs> um, we got a packed agenda for you guys today, man. We got a lot of NFL content. We got some NBA content, even some MLB news. Uh, so, you know, going to be a little bit more on the diversity side today. But, of course, at the end of the day, content is gold, and we're going to have a lot of fun with it. So, Kyle, I don't know about you, but I'm ready to get started. Hell yeah. Like freaking Russell Wilson said, let's ride. Oh, God. <laughs> oh. <laughs> this man going to start it off like that. This episode is cursed now. Exactly. So <laughs> so we, uh, we, we, we're rocking with the first game in the NFL slate. We're going to cover five games in the NFL. So first on the slate is going to be an NFC East showdown. It's going to be the league's best Philadelphia Eagles going up against the New York Giants. Obviously, the Eagles coming across or coming off of a blowout win against the Titans. Giants are coming off of a tie. So it's going to be a very curious game with arguably the MVP candidate, leading candidate, in my personal opinion, in Jalen Hurts, going up against Saquon Barkley and the Giants. So we will see what transpires there. But again, with this being the most competitive division in football at this moment in time, we're always going to be locked in for a must-see televised game. Following that is going to be another division rivalry right here. It's going to be the Jets and Bills rematch. Obviously, the last time these two faced off against each other, the Jets pulled off what seemed to be the upset. The Jets fell short last week against the Vikings, and the Bills actually came through with a win on, what was it, Thursday Night Football against the Patriots in a blowout fashion last week. So the Bills are on 10 days rest, so they should be ready and good to go. Mike White is getting his third start uh, this week or this year. So we will see how he faces against Buffalo's defense. Unfortunately, Vaughn Miller was announced to have a torn ACL. So he is now out for the year. So we'll see how the Bills combat that permanently as he was just ruled out indefinitely a few weeks ago. So, you know, shouldn't change much, but you never know what happens when an official big team member goes down with a permanent injury like that. Pretty sure it's not how he wanted it. Pretty sure it's not how he wanted this season to go, but here we are. The Bills are still nine and three and we'll see what comes out of this AFC East showdown here. Moving on into the next game, it's going to be another division rivalry game. It looks like a lot of division games this week, man. I really just, at least these three at the moment. We've got the Browns and the Bengals going off in an AFC North showdown. Deshaun Watson versus my boy, Joseph Burrow. Obviously, the Bengals are coming off of a big upset win, depending on who said upset. I knew that was going to happen, but, you know, to each his own. We've got the Bengals coming off a win against the Chiefs and the Browns coming off of a win against the Texans. It was Deshaun Watson's first game back in almost two years. And, of course, at the end of the day, we will see how he 
handles the pressure of going up against a better team, or should I say one of the better teams in the NFL, as opposed to the league's worst team. So uh, Deshaun didn't look too good last week, so we'll see how Cincinnati combats that. And of course, Joe Burrow is just on an absolute tear. So we'll see how that kind of just transpires as another rivalry game is going to be uh, pretty, pretty competitive in what I would assume. Then you have the Buccaneers going up against the league's best defense in the 49ers. 49ers go out last week, and they absolutely... What's the word I'm looking for? Annihilate, dominate, even with Brock Purdy. I mean, that defense is just... It looks to be unstoppable. Four turnovers last week against... Of course, now I'm going to draw a blank as to who they Dolphins. faced. The Dolphins, right. They, 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 they slapped to a tongue of Iloa around a couple of times. They gave him a little bit of this, gave him a little bit of that. But the, the, the Niners look to be waking up even without Jimmy Garoppolo. And then, of course, the Buccaneers have an unprobable, absolutely unlikely win. Tom Brady magically leads them through against the Saints on Monday night. And the GOAT resumes his resume uh, with incredible comebacks. And they win on Monday Night Football against another division opponent in the Saints. So the Bucks look to redeem or, I guess, continue this hot streak. <laughs> And the 49ers look to continue to show that they don't need Jimmy Garoppolo. They don't need any quarterback. The defense is going to carry them to a championship. So we will see what happens in that one. And then uh, we got a we got a decently competitive game here. I mean, I'm not trying to insult the Chargers, but I mean, I feel like the Dolphins are a lot more competitive, or should I say, a lot more offensively capable team. Uh, we got the Dolphins going to LA to face the Chargers. Tua versus Justin Herbert. We've been getting a lot of comparisons this season uh, for these two teams, for these two quarterbacks on who is better or who is actually going to be a better quarterback as their careers develop. Obviously, like I had just said, the Dolphins go and they get embarrassed by the 49ers and the Chargers just crumble against the Raiders last week in what looked to be just a struggling game from Justin Herbert and that defense. So, Chargers and Dolphins both look to bounce back in this huge game. But again, we will see how that transpires. Two teams in the AFC looking to at least fight for their right. Obviously, the Dolphins are behind the Bills, and the Chargers are just trying to, from the outside in, look in for a potential wildcard berth, which personally I don't think is possible. But again, both teams have a reason to play this game. And I think it's going to be decently competitive, but we'll get into predictions later. Sliding into the NBA, of course, we have the Boston Celtics that we want to talk about. Kyle, I mean, at a record of 22 and 5, 21 and 5, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. 21 and 5. 20, dude, I don't know if I've seen a start like this in, in, in a little bit of time. I know that we saw the Warriors go off for their record setting year that they, of course, ended up losing in the finals for. But in terms of this team, the way that last season ended, to start the way that they've started this year, they're making a statement. We're not saying they're going to win the championship, but this is how you start a comeback year. This is how you start a revenge tour. The Celtics are just dominating the NBA. So Kyle's going to dive into that a little bit. And then to round out the episode, my Yankees finally do something right. Um, Obviously, they go and extend Cashman, but the big news is that they got Judge back. A nine-year, $360 million year, averaging out $40 million a season, makes him the highest positioned player in all of Major League Baseball in history. Um, Kyle and I have talked about this personally. I've said this on multiple episodes and segments. Whether he left or he came back, I personally didn't believe it made a difference. I'm happy that he's back because he makes the team better, and hopefully he will be awarded the captain's patch like he's been promised. But I'll kind of get into my feelings towards the signing, uh, obviously, at the end of the episode. But like I said, guys, super, super jam-packed episode. So we're going to dive right into it with this NFC matchup of the Eagles and the Giants. I just want to say, you were a little bit pessimistic, my guy, about the whole judge thing. You were pessimistic. I didn't, I didn't did think not, he was coming back. You thought San Francisco had that thing locked up. 
okay, the report came out that that man agreed to terms with the Giants, and then of course that reporter then took that jo- down and said he's never actually said that. Yeah. So I mean, like, John everybody had a guy. reason. Yeah, schmuck. It doesn't really make dude. He was in San Diego for a week with his wife. And then he freaking was walking out the tunnel with Tom Brady on Monday night. So it's like, what am I supposed you, to think? <laughs> he's, been, he's been everywhere the last couple of days. Except so. New York. So that's why I was like, yo, he's definitely gone. Like, apparently he had unfollowed the Yankees on Instagram. He had taken down his Yankee jersey profile on Instagram, which you and I have talked about. That's how this generation likes to tilt makes, the odds in their favor to show well, that well, they're not whatever. Well, it's to make a statement by actually soft. not saying anything soft but anyway the subliminal messages and what i had felt in my gut how the season ended i just felt that he was gone but alas he re-signed and here we are we'll we'll talk about that towards the end of the episode but i just had to throw that out there just yeah 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 you know you were very very against the i had every right potentially coming back i I get it but have faith my guy it's okay to have faith every now and then (laughs) it's one of the things i just Tell Kev all the time. You can have a little bit of faith. It's okay to have that. You could be wrong on it, but at least have uh, a little uh, bit of faith. There was there was something else you used to tell me in college all the time. These things happen. I forget. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to kill <laughs> yeah, bro. Guys, I can't even exaggerate. This man used to say that to me, especially at work, like five, six times a day. Heaven forbid we had class together that day and then we had to go to work. Bro, I wanted to kill him. <laughs> now it's yo, it, I th- I say, yo, I think I failed that that English exam. These things happen. Yeah, man. It just comes with the territory. See the, Bro, I got like, a D uh, on my paper. These things happen. You'll be fine. <sighs> Yo, saying, dude, like, I totally you know, forgot I worked today. Bro, these things happen. You're good. Bro, you're not going to let me get a word in edgewise, are you? <laughs> Hell no, bro. That shit used to get annoying as fuck. I used to be like, yo, I get it. These things happen. I, I got you. Everything hey, happens. Can we go? <laughs> hey, bro, it is what it is. That's pretty much what I'll just go with now. It's pretty much one of my go-tos. So, If anything, it is what it is. But, but with that said, uh, no, let's dive in. Uh, let's talk about this Eagles and Giants game that's going to be taking place on Monday. Uh, not Monday, Jesus Christ. On Sunday. I'm off to a hot start here, Kev. It's all good, uh, bro. Like Kev said in the intro, the Eagles are the best team in the NFL as far as their record is concerned. Uh, they were the first win. They were the first team to 10 wins. They're currently sitting at an 11-1 record after they just smacked up the Titans this past weekend. Kev, what, it was like 35-10? to 10? The score was just an absolute yep. beat down yep. at home yep. for the Eagles. They just looked dominant against the Titans from beginning to end. And then you flip it over to the Giants. The Giants had a very competitive game against the Washington Commanders, which actually ended in a tie. It's very rare that I ever throw that out there because usually games do not end in ties. But we had that take place. Uh, the Giants and the Commanders tied 2020 apiece last week in a game that Kevin and I thought that the Commanders would win rather convincingly. But... The Giants definitely got a pretty solid performance from their whole unit in that game, and they look to, I guess, build upon that and try to get a dub in the dub column this upcoming weekend against the Eagles. But I will say, I would say that their odds are kind of stacked against them at this point, knowing how good the Eagles have been this year. So, Kev, to get this one to you, look at the Eagles and the Giants going at it on Sunday in an NFC East divisional matchup. Who do you think is going to come out on top and why? I mean, I'm going to keep this one clear cut and concise because I don't really have much analytics to put behind it. Uh, the Eagles are going to smack the Giants. Uh, obviously, I believe the Giants are a good football team. But it's the injuries, man. I, I, I really can't give them a pass with everything they've had to overcome between injuries on the offensive line, wide receiver core, especially. Um, you've had some corners, some safety injuries. I mean, 
you name it, everybody's been banged up at this point. And I know you can't really equivalent or blame victories and losses on injury, but when your entire receiver core has been depleted, you've gone through a couple of tackles and guards because of injuries in and throughout the season. I mean, it's just, it's inevitable that eventually these injuries will catch up. The Eagles have one of the best defenses in the league. They have the league's best offense, in my opinion, between A.J. Brown, Quez Watkins, of course, when Dallas Goddard gets back, and even without Dallas Goddard, Devonta Smith, and of course, the MVP candidate, leading candidate in Jalen Hurts. I, I truthfully believe that this is going to be a a reawakening, or should I say just a can of whoop-ass, in my opinion, because the Eagles are just a flat-out better team. The Giants played a competitive game against the Commanders, right? They did play tough. They did find ways to make that game closer than what it needed to be, because at the end of the day, I mean, I thought that the Giants would end up pulling away as time progressed, the way that the second half was kind of going. But again, with them not scoring in overtime and then it ending in a tie, it kind of looked a little inept. Later in that game, it looked like they had nothing left in the tank, like they were gassed. Play calling was a little questionable. Defense was able to get stops, but the offense wasn't able to move the ball downfield. So I will say they don't have a chance, in my opinion. But the Eagles made a lot of mistakes last week in that first half slash first quarter. They had about five or six false starts in that game. The offensive line looked out of whack. They had a couple of holding penalties. So if this offensive line does not play tough, if this offensive line does not get it together, the pass rush of the Giants has been known to pressure the quarterback quite a bit. Now, I will say that last week they were limited because the Tennessee Titans are one of the best rush defenses in the NFL. I'm not saying that the Giants aren't, but they're not what Tennessee is in terms of stuffing the run. You have the RPO capability of Jalen Hurts. Obviously, Miles Sanders is hopefully going to be able to get it going again this week, which will open up the play action. And I mean, at the end of the day, it, I, I'm taking A.J. Brown on one-on-one coverage the majority of this game. I mean, of course, you know, McLeod is injured. He's questionable. Leonard Williams is injured. Saquon's uh, injured. Richie James, another receiver for them, is injured. I mean, the list truly just goes on and on. So it's just a matter of who's going to be available to guard the receivers of the Eagles. If Adoree Jackson is there, I think that he's going to make it somewhat challenging. But I mean, A.J. Brown's just a physical beast that is not going to let anybody stop him. So I got Philly by two or three scores, man. Again, no insult to the Giants. I just think the Eagles are miles away better than what the Giants are. But I've been wrong before. I feel like if the Eagles play down to their competition like they did against Washington, they don't take it serious and they start to struggle, it is quite possible that the Eagles can start off slow. And when the Eagles start off slow, slow that's not exactly a, a good formula for them. So we'll see how this works out. But I got Philly by a lot. Kev, I'm in pretty much the same boat as you are in this one. It just comes back to the injuries with the Giants. The Giants have just been riddled with injuries this year. And I will give them credit. Uh, we picked the, the Commanders to win that game quite convincingly uh, when they went up against the Giants last week. And the Giants really showed me that and if their defense plays up the snuff, it at least keeps them in a game. Now, granted, you know, Taylor Heineke is not what I would consider a top-tier quarterback, even though that he was able to move the ball effectively in that last drive in the fourth quarter. There were large stretches of that game where he wasn't able to do much and neither was the commander's offense. And that's really a testament to the giants. Kev, what's up? The Rams just came back down from 16 to three to win with 10 seconds to go. A game throwing touchdown from Baker Mayfield to Van Jefferson, 17, 16. Wow. We were just talking about this before we were talking about, uh, how the Raiders looked like they were going to run away with that game. You said it was 16 Yo, to 3. They were beating they them down. They scored 14 points in the last nine minutes of the game. The Raiders' offense could not get. Bro, I'm going through like the score and the play by play like on ESPN, and I'm like, punt, 
drive, punt, drive, touchdown, punt, drive, touch. Like, dude, there's 10 seconds to go. They drove down the field in a minute, 25 seconds and scored. That's crazy. Wow. Dude. Kudos to Baker, bro. Kudos to Baker. You know what's crazy? Whenever the Raiders get on a little bit of a hot streak, there's a little bit of faith, a little bit of life in the team. They have performances like this. I, bro, I, wow. I thought they would be a little bit better this year. They've just been a major disappointment this year. Is game over? Ten, second, it... ten seconds, one timeout left. Did they have they kicked the ball off yet? Yeah. It touched back. You got one play to get to like the 40 to get a field goal. That's not going to happen. No, this game's unless, a wrap. Unless it's like uh, a Hail Mary and Devontae comes down with the ball. Yeah, I mean, you know, unless you do like some sort of seam shot where, remember when um, Josh Allen hit that seam route uh, to Diggs against the Lions on Thanksgiving? Yeah. If that was they nice. were, If they were able to do something like that, maybe, but then you're going to have to kick a 60, 65 yard field goal. I mean, Carlson's not a bad field goal kicker, and they're indoors because they're in LA. I mean, both but, stadiums are indoors, but, should I say? So, it didn't but make you'd have to get to the forty, like forty-five yard line on the other side that's, of the field. And that, no, I'm not. I'm not saying that's, that's easy. I'm just saying that's thirty-five yards. That's a long way to go on one pass. And you got ten seconds. Yeah, you, you bro, you got to travel forty yards basically, in, in in five six seconds to get a timeout and hope that somebody's open in the middle of the field. There's been one player I know who's who's done that. That's Mahomes. Mahomes did it in mm-hmm. literally ten seconds. Yeah, but that's because they left Kelsey and Hill wide open over the middle. And they did it on two places. <laughs> you already get two plays off in 10 seconds. I don't know any other team that's been able to do that. Yeah. But uh, just, are, are you watching this thing on GameCast? Yeah, I'm just looking at the GameCast right now. I'm assuming that this play's got to happen any second now because they kicked off a while ago already. Unless it's a media timeout or something, this should be going on right now. No, there's no way. With 10 seconds left in the fourth quarter, there's no way they do a media timeout after a kickoff. Well, I mean, unless something's going on with the clock, like I said, I've been staring at this menu of they already made the kickoff a good like minute or two ago, and there's nothing moving. So, I mean, he got to the 50. Intercepted. Go. It's over. Oh, it's over. Yeah. Give yeah. Me. Yep. Damn. That was a. F- oh, what, what kind of pass is that? A 40. Damn. He got over the 50 with that pass, if not right at the 50. Yeah. So. That was a 25, 30 yard pass, probably. Did they return yeah, it to uh, the 50? No. Caught it like at the 50. That's where the interception was. And he yeah, nailed it down. That's a 25 yard pass. That's not bad. But I mean, it was, was going to Adams. It was, it was deflected, it said. So. Oh, well. That's the distance that you're going to have to throw it. It's going to have to be a 25, 30-yard pass. Damn, this Baker a, Mayfield. Wow. I know. Signed off, what, four days less ago? Than 40, less than 48 hours ago he signed. Wow, that was quick. Quick turnaround. And able to get a win? I mean, I don't know how special he was. I don't, I don't have the stats pulled up in front of me, but uh, they did enough to me? win, though. I mean, well, yeah, obviously. Uh, Baker was 22 of 35, 230, and a tut. He was sacked four times, though. Well, their offensive line has been absolutely atrocious this year. That's the reason why they suck this year. Well, I mean, amongst other things, yeah, their defense was bad. Aaron Donald didn't play this game either. And then I'm looking at, what is it, penalties? Damn. The Raiders had seven for 94 because I saw so many freaking penalties on the offensive line on one drive. The Rams had seven for 60. But again, the Raiders, man, they just can't get it done in crunch time. They're a very sloppy, undisciplined team. Time of possession was split down the middle, 30 to 29. So, I mean, like, it wasn't like both teams weren't trying here, but uh, both of them were piss poor on third down. Five of 13 for the Raiders, four of 12 for the Rams. Or, excuse me, yeah, four of 12 for the Rams. 
58 plays for the Raiders, 61 for the Rams. First downs, that's kind of, well, no, it's passing first downs. What was time of possession? Time of possession was 30 minutes for the Raiders, and then uh, 30 minutes for the Raiders, 29 for the Rams. So it was like split. Yeah. Pretty even. Wow. Still. Wow, 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 wow. Kudos to Baker, bro. Shout out to Baker. Yeah, it's probably like the one like little glimmer of hope that he's had this year. Because I know uh, that, that Carolina experiment did not work out in his favor. So, talking about back to the uh, back to the Eagles game, though. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, just to kind of get back into the swing of things. uh, Honestly, I'm going to start this whole thing over. Kev, I agree with you 100%. Uh, (laughs) I think the Eagles are going to smack up the Giants this weekend. Um, I pretty much have the game pretty much played out exactly as you laid it out. I think it's probably going to be. I'd say a comfortable win for the Eagles. I'd say probably somewhere around two possessions. I don't know if it's going to be a three possession game. I mean, granted, I will say the Eagles smacked up the Titans this past weekend, one by 25 points. It wasn't even competitive. I don't know if it's going to be to that extent because the Giants do have a better defense to work with. But yeah, I got the Eagles all day in this one. And, you know, when it comes to the Eagles this year, they've been extremely effective. They only lost one game this year. Jalen Hurts has been one of the biggest catalysts to their success this year. And as far as I'm concerned, Kev, we've been talking about Jalen the last couple of weeks. He should definitely be in the consideration for the top of the MVP leaderboard. And I know there's always been a lot of focus paid towards Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes, but I believe that Jalen's done enough at this point to be in that conversation. And what we saw based in that last game against the Titans, I think he's definitely in the top five as far as MVP candidates, and you could probably say arguably top three now that we have, what, three, four weeks left in the season? We're week 14, right? So Yes. So we got four weeks left. And I think if he's able to establish consistency early in this game against the Giants, I think this is going to be pretty much a runaway by probably the end of the third quarter. And I will say, just to kind of kick it to the Giants here, if the Giants are going to be competitive in this game, it's simply be, going to be because of their defense. We could look back to that game last week against the Commanders in a game that Kevin and I comfortably picked the Commanders to win that game by probably 7 to 10 points. The Giants were able to manage a tie in that game. Granted, they would rather take a win than a tie, but it's better than a loss as far as I'm concerned. And the fact that they were able to limit, albeit what I would consider is a average Offense with the commanders led by Taylor Heineke to be able to maintain them to 20 points could be a lot worse. I mean, the Eagles did lose it to commanders and Eagles gave up 30 plus points in that game. And I mean, freaking Taylor Heineke looked like the second coming of Tom Brady in that game. He could not miss a pass in that game. But when I look at the injuries that the Giants have going into this game, this is going to be a big uphill battle for them. I mean, I'm looking at the guys who haven't participated in practice. I think Adoree Jackson missed another practice, so there's definitely a chance that he could miss this game. I'm looking at Leonard Williams on their defensive front four. He did not practice, so there's definitely some big injuries going into this game, and not only that, Saquon Barkley was limited in practice um, later in the week. So all in all, it just seems like the injuries have been a persistent theme for the Giants this year, and that's despite the fact that they've been relatively successful this year, but it's, it's just coming to bite them in the ass here, and it could be something that we have to look towards in this game if they're not effective. It's just they just don't have the requisite pieces to be out there to compete and give the Eagles a good fight. And 
look, when you got Daniel Jones as your quarterback, if he's not turning the ball over, he's putting the team in a position to at least be competitive. But if he doesn't have the pieces, if he doesn't have Saquon Barkley in this game, I don't think that Daniel Jones is going to go out there and light up that Eagles defense, which has been known at times to really stifle some offenses that they've gone up against. And they have a good example of containing a Derrick Henry-led offense with the Tennessee Titans to 10 points last week. So if the Giants don't have the pieces out there on the offensive side of the ball like Saquon, I just don't think that the Giants are going to be effective offensively. And that's where I really see this game essentially becoming a blowout. I just don't think that the Giants are going to be able to put up enough points here to make this game competitive. I think the Eagles, despite the fact that they're going up against, albeit a pretty solid defense against the Giants, I still think that they could put up 25, 30 points in this game. And if Jalen doesn't turn the ball over and they really focus on that RPO with their running back core, I think it'll be all day Eagles in this one. So Kev, I'm with you hundred percent on this one. If I had to put a score on it, I'm going to say, the Eagles win this one by the score of 30 to, let's say, 16. I think the Giants will somewhere, they'll get somewhere around the mid-teens as far as points are concerned. But I really think the Eagles can ramp this thing up in the second half. And there could be a good chance that you know Jalen ends up probably just chilling on the sideline in the fourth quarter if this game really gets out of hand. So the Eagles are the best team in the NFL as far as I see it right now. Their record indicates that they've been on a pretty good winning streak here for the last couple weeks and I think this will just be another solid win for them against the Giants which is definitely one of their NFC East foes as far as I see it I mean I want to say it's going to be a good game right like I say it every week I want to cheer for the Giants I want to give them the benefit of the doubt I want to be able to say like they're a good football team but when you look at it from top to bottom Saquon has slowed down over the course of the last few weeks they're putting a lot of pressure on him obviously at the end of the day Daniel Jones has not like taking a step down. I mean, he's just had less options to work with. He hasn't had a lot of opportunities. I mean, other than extending plays with his legs, he's just struggling. And that's what happens when a quarterback doesn't have his weapons. I mean, like it's one thing to say my number one weapon went down. My number two weapon went down. When he loses one through four, one through five, his rookie receiver even goes down. It's like you're playing with practice squad players. So, you know, at that point, building a relationship with them, building a chemistry, learning where they like to put the play, look, looking, stuttering is just I'm struggling tonight looking to learn where they like the ball best understanding their tendencies as a quarterback you have to know all of these things because you have to have a relationship with your offensive players so again I'm not trying to shit on the Giants I'm not trying to say that they're a bad football team it's just because they're injured they don't have a lot going for them and again with the Eagles having the most confidence in the world Jalen Hurts was at the podium what was it? I think it was either yesterday or a couple of days ago where he was kind of talking about, oh my God, what did he say? He, I sent it to Isabel's dad. It was like, we're not really, you know, we're not focused on these little achievements or something like that. I'm paraphrasing because I'm butchering the quote, but he basically said like, we're just focused right now on the next thing. We're focused on the next game. Like his mentality to be motivated while at the same time, just so utterly crazily focused and like just locked in that's what you need from your quarterback right now that's what you need from your your mvp that's what you need from your leader so again kudos to jalen hurts and what the eagles have been able to do thus far this season but again this game as much as i would like it to be competitive it's going to be very one-sided so you know santino all my giants fans i do apologize but i'd be lying if i said the giants are going to win this game bro but this next game this next game i'm looking forward to because a it was a very close game the last time they played mm-hmm. and b one team is looking to get some revenge 
and that is going to be the Buffalo Bills. So, Kyle, obviously, with the Jets falling short last week, they have a little bit of a sore taste in their mouth, of course, because they thought that they were able to take away or at least upset the Minnesota Vikings. Now they have to go to Buffalo and fight a resurgent Buffalo team. Who do you think is going to come out of this AFC East showdown and why? I'm going to favor the Bills in this one. I think they will be able to exact their revenge against the Jets from a couple of weeks ago. And when I look back to that game that the Bills had against the Jets in the first matchup, I mean, they got off to a really good start in the first half. I thought Josh Allen was extremely effective in the passing game. And not only that, he was effective in running the ball as well. He typically likes to bounce outside, bounce outside of the pocket and be able to pick up some first downs with his feet. And sometimes Kevin, and I've talked about this ad nauseum at this point. There are many games where Josh Allen could be the lead uh, runner for the Bills compared to their running back core. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's able to extend that type of narrative against the Jets if the running backs that Buffalo has at their disposal just aren't able to get effective rushes. But when I look back to the second half of that game between the Bills and the Jets, I got to give credit to that Jets defense. I mean, they locked down the Bills offense pretty much contained them to, I think, three points in the second half. Or they may have not even scored in the second half. It, it was either three points or zero points in the second half that the Bills scored. But nonetheless, I mean, that Jets defense came to play. And I will say, they were able to rally in that second half to get the upset win against the Bills. And this is one thing that we have to focus on with the Bills going into this game. Can the Bills be able to win more comfortably compared to late? And I will say that when we saw them play against the Patriots last week, it was a step in the right direction. They won that game really convincingly. It was one of the most well-rounded efforts I'd seen from them the entire year. The offense was clicking. The defense was playing up to snuff. And it just seemed like from beginning to end, the Bills owned that game against the Patriots. And that was despite going on the road to Gillette Stadium. Now, going into this game, this game is going to be at home. They're going to have their home crowd behind them. And I will be expecting that that Bills Mafia is going to be ready to go. They're going to be fired up. They're going to be smashing tables pregame. And I think the energy that they'll bring to this game is going to ignite the team and just force them forward to getting this win over the Jets. I think it's going to be predicated on the offense stepping up their game. They know that they had a letdown game against the Jets when they played them the first time. And I will say, the Jets' defense is no joke. The Jets' defense has been playing very solid of late. However, they did kind of get run on a little bit by the Vikings last week. And I will say that the Jets had some opportunities to win that game against the Vikings. But the Vikings were able to move the ball effectively at times when they needed to to get points on the board. And it was one of the more weaker defensive performances I've seen from the Jets this year. And if they could be able to bounce back from that Vikings loss last week, which is honestly a game that they probably could have won. They had multiple opportunities to win that game at the end. They just couldn't get the plays that needed to be made. I will say that this game will be another competitive game between the Bills and the Jets. It's just I favored the Bills in this one. I think their offense is clicking at the right time here. I also think that with Mike White at the helm, I think that Bill's defense can be able to get some plays here for some turnovers. And I think if they're able to get a turnover or two against the Jets, turn those turnovers into points, I think that could be a difference maker in this one. I will say, though, when I was looking at the injury report with the Bills, Matt Milano 
and I believe one of their defensive linemen by the name of Jordan Phillips. Uh, they did not practice on Wednesday or Thursday, so we're recording on Thursday. So these injury updates could be subject to change. So they could practice on Friday. They could be available for Sunday. Some maybe just a game time decision. We'll kind of figure out as time goes on. But I still believe that the Bills have the requisite pieces on the defense to be able to slow down that Jets offense led by Mike White to probably somewhere around, I'm going to say 17 to 23 points. I do believe this game is going to be a one-position score when it's all said and done, or a one-position game when it's all said and done. I'm going to favor the Bills in this one. I'm going to say they win this one by the score of, let's say, 27 to 21. I think it'll be a six-point victory for the Bills. Uh, the Bills would essentially claim the top spot in the AFC East if they just continue their winning ways. And as far as I see it, I think the Bills are probably the team to beat in this division. And that's despite the fact that the Jets and the Dolphins have made it quite interesting against them the last couple of weeks. But Kev, the floor is yours on this one. So the Bills, you were right. The Bills only scored three points the last time they played each other in the fourth quarter or in the second half. Mm-hmm. So the Bills have a lot to bounce back for. I'm having one of those conflicted moments, man, where I'm like stuck and I want to pick one team, but it's like I'm torn with another. I'm picking the Bills but for whatever reason, my gut is telling me to pick the Jets. I don't know why I'm having faith in Mike White. I'm having faith that Robert Sala is going to come and say, you know what? We struggled last week. We had opportunities to win. We have to be able to close the door. We have to be able to win these close games. In order to compete, we are going to have to do things that we haven't done in a decade. We're going to have to close out games, throw the ball efficiently, run the football efficiently, and control the line of scrimmage. Now, with the injuries to the Bills' offensive line, their secondary, their lack of depth, losing Von Miller, I know that they're home. I'm hoping that they can find a way to overcome it. I'm praying that I'm right and that they can move on to 10-3. and But if you fuck around and find out, bro, if you slip up just a little bit, that Jets defense, dude, they already forced, what was it, two to three turnovers the last time they played the Bills. Josh Allen had two picks. You're going to get your quarterback hurt if he's out there rushing, constantly scrambling because of the pressure that the Jets bring. We all know that Sauce Gardner is probably going to win Defensive Rookie of the Year, one of the best corners in the league, and that is not premature to say. He's proven it week in and week out. Along with Mike White's ability to put the ball downfield, whether that be to Davis, whether that be to uh, Garrett Wilson, whether that be to Elijah Moore. I mean, it's just they, they have their little bits of weapons. This is going to be a lot more competitive than people are assuming. This is going to be a lot closer than what people are predicting. I think this is going to come down to who makes the mistake first. And the reason I'm picking the Bills is because of the inexperience of Mike White. And I believe that the veteran experience on the Bills side are going to take what they learned from that Jets defense in the last time they played. And they're not just going to use it against them. They're going to find ways to manipulate the secondary. And by what I mean by that is they're going to attack the line of scrimmage and try to run the football and staple that effectiveness in controlling the line of scrimmage. They're going to probably give their backs a combination of maybe 30 to 40 carries between the two of them. I feel like at the end of the day, I know that Josh Allen's going to probably have 8 to 12 attempts as well, so I'm hoping that they they can put 150 to 175 yards on the ground. And by that, that is going to give Josh Allen a lot more leeway in that secondary. Those corners are not going to be so so quick to judge they're going to be hesitant on the play action those linebackers are going to freeze in the middle of the field it's going to be wide open so again that's just my my opinion if they just go pass 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 which is what they normally do 
I truly believe that the Jets can find a way to make this competitive. So I'm going to say this is somewhere between the lines of 24 to 20, 21, 24, something of that nature because Mike White gives them the Jets the ability to score a little bit more while at the same time we know that Josh Allen and his, you know, his talents can easily draw 30 points by himself. So I got this AFC East showdown actually being a, a, a bigger showdown than the previous game we talked about and the next game we're going to talk about. I think that this man, the Jets and the Bills are going to have a classic battle here because the last one was close. This one's going to be just as close, but I got the Bills in a close one. If the Jets win this one, it's going to be because of their defense. If their defense could yep. force some turnovers against Josh Allen, which, okay, we both know this, and I think a lot of people know it. Josh has had some turnover issues this year, especially in the red zone. Yep. And if they're able to do that, it, it may only take one. That's all they might need. That could be a difference maker. But I will say... I've liked the trend of the Bills the last couple of weeks. I will say, like, that Patriot game that they had last week, one of their best performances I've seen all year. They dominated time possession in that game. They had five, six, seven-minute drives consistently against, albeit a pretty solid defense against the Patriots. And they just pretty much owned the game from beginning to end. And I will say, when it comes to Mike White, does that Bills defense get flustered by Mike White at the helm? I don't really know. And I will say, you know, to give Jets their, I guess, their credit here, they almost won that game against the Vikings. They were literally just this short getting a dub against the Vikings. They had two opportunities in the red zone in the fourth quarter. They just couldn't do it. But no, I think overall, I think this AFC East matchup between the Jets and the Bills, I think it's going to be a solid one. Um, Kev, I... I'm with you 100%. I think the game is going to be very similar to that first game. It's just, I think that Bills Mafia, man, they're going to be ready. So I agree. I think they're going to bring, they're going to bring the heat, bro. So it's going to be probably freezing in Buffalo, but nonetheless, the those fans are going to show out. They're going to be ready to go uh, when these two teams go at it. But with that 30, said, 30, 31 degrees, bro. That'll be a, that's that's typical for this time of the year. So. Yeah, and it's a one o'clock game, so it'll yeah, be at least the sun will be out. Could be worse. They could be getting like five or six feet of snow, like they got a couple of weeks ago. So, no thanks. Yeah, that's why we moved down to Florida, bro. Hey, man, I'll get back up there. I just I'm, I don't want to deal with feet, like plural, like not foot feet of snow. Like we're talking four or five. I'm I'm not going to work. Yeah, once you have to go on your roof and actually start shoveling snow off the roof, that's when it's like, all right, like this is a little bit much. Exactly. So I'm good off that. Anyway, next game we got on the agenda is going to be a AFC North battle that's going to feature the Cleveland Browns and the Cincinnati Bengals. Just to give you guys a quick recap of where both teams stand right now. The Browns came off of a, I would say, a decent win over the Texans. I mean, the Texans are the worst team in the NFL this year. Uh, But I will say it was quite an effort from their special teams unit and their defensive unit with them essentially being the main force to get points on the board for the Browns. The Browns did not score any offensive touchdowns in that game against the Texans. It was largely led by their special teams and their defense to be able to get those points. Uh, the Browns have been on a decent stretch here. They're still a sub 500 team, but nonetheless, you still have to keep an eye on them. Now that Deshaun Watson is in the fold at the quarterback position for them came off his first game last week against the Texans and did look rusty, but kind of expect that with a guy who hasn't played football in any meaningful capacity in two years. So we'll kind of monitor how he plays from here on out. But on the other side, we got the Cincinnati Bengals who are coming off of their biggest win of the season, 
beating the Kansas City Chiefs at home in you know another rematch of Joe Burrow versus Patrick Mahomes. Burrow gets another dub against Patrick Mahomes. He's 3-0 against Patrick Mahomes in, what, the last eight to nine months? Somewhere around there? Nine to ten months? Uh, 11 months, because he beat him twice in January, once in December. So, so still the same a year. year. Basically a year. And I will say, now that Lamar Jackson is hurt for the next couple of weeks, you got Tyler Huntley, you got to play quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. This is definitely a prime opportunity for the Bengals to take possession of first place in the AFC North if they go out and maintain their winning ways for the foreseeable future. So, Kevin, to get this one to you, we got the Browns and the Bengals going at it in a pretty interesting AFC North divisional battle this weekend. Who do you think is going to get the dub and why? Uh, two words, Joseph Burrow. Uh, one quarterback's been to a Super Bowl. One quarterback is playing incredibly well. And the other one's just coming back from basically a two-year suspension. I mean, Deshaun struggled against one of the worst teams, if not the worst team in the NFL last week. Had a bad interception, missed opportunities, dropped pass. I mean, you name it. Cleveland did not look good last week on the offensive side. Now, I will say they looked great on the defensive side, but that is a skewed metric because they played, again, the Texans. So. The Bengals' offense has been playing well. Their offensive line has been playing a lot better. Joe Mixon is slated to uh, hopefully come back from this game. He's listed as questionable, but again, he's hopefully going to be cleared from the concussion protocol the rest of this week, or hopefully before the game, and they'll be at full strength. The Bengals on the defensive side look good. Offensively, they look great, and I think that they are, like I said last week, surging at the right time. The confidence is boosting from the from the offensive side. Obviously, Jamar Chase is back. T. Higgins is getting confident. The only negative is Hayden Hurst is doubtful with an injury. So at the tight end position, I don't know how that's going to be, you know, relied upon with that being Joe's safety blanket over the middle of the field on third down. But again, I'm sure the Bengals will have some different options. I'm sure the Bengals will have uh, an, an offensive option ready for Joe. Uh, excuse me for Joseph as they prepare for a division rival in Cleveland. Now, I will say, again, with Cleveland hesitating, or should I say struggling with Deshaun within the first week, I think they lean on Nick Chubb just a little bit more. You got to give him more touches. You got to give him and Kareem Hunt the ball as much as you can. And of course, you're going to have to feed your best target in Amari Cooper. Now, I know that David Njoku is listed as questionable with an injury as well. So we will see how that goes. But obviously, with Cooper and Njoku, Peoples-Jones, Deshaun Watson has targets to throw to. It's just a matter of if he can hit them and if he can effectively produce in this system. So I got the Bengals in about a 7 to 10 point window just because I believe that the Bengals are just a flat out better team. But again, with that Browns defense catching a little bit of steam last week, who's to say that Miles Garrett doesn't have himself a big game? I mean, he is obviously one of the best defensive tackles in the game. So I wouldn't be surprised if he comes away with this with a sack, sack and a half. And, you know, the Bengals offensive line easily can take a week off (laughs) <laughs> we talked about it last week also. We hope that the, the confidence that they've had over the last couple of weeks doesn't get to their head and say, you know what, we're one of the best teams in the AFC. We're going to be fine. Joe's going to be fine. You can't sleep on Miles Garrett. That man is, I don't even know if that is a man, but regardless, they have a, they have a, a decent challenge in front of them again because the last time they played, even though it was against Jacoby Brissett, the Bengals got embarrassed 32-13. to So The Browns know the Bengals relatively well, and I'm sure the Bengals want revenge for that last game. So again, I say that the Bengals win, not necessarily in a close, close one, but it's going to be a little bit closer than people would assume. As I said, similarly to the last game, I got this one, like I said, maybe, I don't know, 28-21, 24-17, and if this gets crazy, maybe even 24-14, something like that. I think that the Bengals, obviously, like I said, come out on top, and they move on to uh, 9-4. 
Yeah, I think the Bengals are going to get their revenge, very similar to what we just talked about with the Bills getting their revenge potentially against the Jets this weekend. I do believe that you're in the ballpark of where I was going to go with. I do think this is going to be a competitive game as far as I see it, just because I got to give credit where credit is due with the Browns. That Browns defense the last couple of weeks has been very solid. They gave Tampa fits two weeks ago. And I think they held Tampa to what, 17 points in that game. I know Tampa's had their issues this year, but nonetheless, to hold them to 17 points, that's a pretty solid performance as far as I see it. And look, I mean, going up against the Texans, it's not the, really the toughest competition, but you still held them to 14 points while going on the road. So, and that was despite the fact that that was Deshaun Watson's first game as a member of the Browns, his first game in over two years. So all things considered, this defense is pretty solid. And I do believe that even though that I had the Bengals winning this game, this Browns defense can make it very difficult for Joe Burrow but not enough for the Bengals to lose this game as far as I see it. When I look at the Bengals specifically, the Bengals, I think, are just running and gunning right now. And with them getting that really tight win against the Chiefs last week, it really shows to me how this team has come full circle from where they were at the beginning of the year when their offensive line couldn't protect anybody. They were turning the ball over. And by and large, just the offense was stagnant. But now we're just in the first week of December And the Bengals look like one of the best teams in the AFC. And they kind of have that momentum building in their favor of potentially going to another Super Bowl if Joe Burrow can play up to snuff and the defense can come up with some big plays to stop opposing offenses. And it does seem like they're on that track right now. But this is one of those games where they're going up against a division rival in the Browns. And the Browns, based on what Kevin had just outlined, based off of their first matchup this year, Browns smacked them up. Granted, I know it was, okay, was that a Monday night game that took place between the Browns and the Bengals the first time? Because I remember the game took place at night. That was the game where Jacoby kind of did his thing and just Joe Burrow and yeah, the offense I'm, couldn't I'm, get it. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at I'm it pretty right sure. now. I mean, I'm pretty um, sure that that game was a Monday night game. Of but, course, now I'm trying to scroll back and I'm like, of course, I'm not going to click the right freaking game. But I know like it was what, a 19-point game? It, it was, bro, it was uh, yeah, 19 points because I was like, it ended 13 or something like that. Hold on. It was a, uh, come on, bro, load. It was a, it doesn't even tell me the time it was played. What? That's mad weird. I'll look it up. I have yeah, it right like, I'm looking on ESPN right now. It doesn't give me a time. It gives me a final score. Gives it me just, fourth quarter. It was 8.15. On. There you go. I had to scroll all the way to the bottom. It was on, it was on 8.15 on Halloween. Okay. In Cleveland. On a Monday? Yep. Okay. But to get back on track. Sorry. Um, no, it, you're fine. No, but overall, you know, the Bengals had their struggles against the Browns in that game. And when it comes to the Browns, the one thing that they're going to have to bank on is being able to run the ball effectively against this Bengals defense. And that could be tricky. Now, granted, you know, you got Nick Chubb back there who's one of the best running backs in the game. And he's been shown to really run the ball effectively when given proper touches. It just depends on whether or not that the Browns offensive line can win those battles on the line of scrimmage consistently to open up some run lanes for him to exploit and potentially rip up some pretty big chunk plays here for the Browns. Because when I look at Deshaun Watson, you could definitely tell he's rusty. 
I think he's still getting comfortable with the offensive system that the Browns have in place right now. And I think it's going to take a couple weeks for him to get settled in this offense. And honestly, it may take until the offseason and probably a full training camp for him to get really comfortable with this offense. Because, I mean, when you miss the first 10, 11 games due to a suspension and you're coming into the season in the first week of December, I can understand there being rust. And that just kind of comes with the territory when you've been out for so long, not just with the suspension, but without playing for two years at this point. So I don't like the matchup here for the Browns going up against the Bengals simply just because the Bengals defense is able to force some turnovers against Deshaun Watson, or if they're just able to stifle this Browns offense, I think that's pretty much all they'll need. Because when you give Joe Burrow the ball, and as long as he's not turning the ball over and he's held upright based on his offensive line protecting him properly... I think that Joe Burrow-led offense, I mean, you could tie in Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. Tyler Boyd needs to step up after dropping the easy walk-in touchdown last week. And then we'll see what happens. I'm not even a Bengals fan. We'll we'll see what happens with Joe Mixon. I know he's still in concussion protocol. We don't know if he's going to play in this game or not. But if he does, the Browns, I mean, excuse me, the Bengals are going to have a lot of offensive weapons to work with here. And I think it's going to be too much for the Browns to handle. It is a divisional game, so these games tend to be closer in nature compared to just outright blowouts. So I will say the Bengals win this one. I'm going to say this is going to be like a 7-10 to 10 point victory for the Bengals here. I don't think this is going to be a runaway game like the first one was when the Browns just smacked up the Bengals. But overall, I think the Bengals win this one relatively comfortably based on the fact that it is a divisional game. I'm going to say the Bengals win this one by the score of, let's say, 27-17. to 17. I think this could be a fair score for this game the way that I see it. But just to kind of round this whole segment out, I think the Bengals are rounding in the form at the perfect time. I think they're gearing up for a deep playoff run. And I think it's games like this where they could look back before the playoffs start as just we hit a groove, got the momentum on our back right now, and it's just run and gun until the playoffs. I think they're in that position right now. So I got the Bengals winning this one 27 to 17. That's my final score. It's going to be a good one. Obviously, like I said, a lot of these divisional games, people think because record is such a big thing nowadays that that's going to define the game. Oh, the best team always... No, they don't. Divisional games, these opponents, as Kyle has said a multitude of times on multiple episodes, they know you best. They play you twice a year, every year. It's not a change in schedule. It's just a matter of when you play them. Mm-hmm. So I know that this Browns team is going to look at it and say, we, we won with less last time. Now we have our guy back. Mm-hmm. hopefully Deshaun can get into a rhythm in, in terms of if you're a Browns fan, but in terms of the Bengals, yo, we sucked last time. We're a different team now. Mm-hmm. We're hot, and we need to keep this momentum going if we want to take advantage. Like Kyle had also said in his previous statement, with Lamar being out, you have to take advantage. You Nobody wishes injuries upon anybody, but when you have an injury to your franchise quarterback, your best player, that is when you need to win games the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, you know, the way that I see it is, I kind of said it in the analysis. Deshaun still looks rusty to me, which is expected. I don't think he was going to hit the ground running and, you know, put up 300, 400 yards passing in the first game when he's missed two plus years. And, you know, when it comes to the Bengals, they're just on fire right now. I mean, yeah. I will say this is the first time I think we've had him in the top five of our power rankings since probably the beginning of the year. Yeah. So it had been a long time 
you know, since the Bengals were in the top five, but I think that they've really been on a solid kick here the last couple of weeks and getting a win over who we had as the number one team in the Chiefs. I think it was well deserved. So I agree. It, it to me at this point, when it comes to the Bengals, it's very simple. They have to maintain, or they just have to find ways to keep winning. You know, to possibly win the division, and then once they get into the playoffs, depending on what their seed is, I'm telling you, man. I remember you called it last year, them being a dark horse team to make a Super Bowl. I think they could be in a very similar situation uh, this postseason if they just continued this hot streak throughout the month of December. So, I mean, they definitely finished off November very nicely. Now, whether or not if they can continue it in December, we'll see. But you got Joe Burrow back there. It seems as if everybody is starting to get healthy at the right time. It just seems like all those ingredients are working well with the Bengals right now. And I think it could turn a positive result for them going into the last couple of weeks of the season. But Kev, we got a got a pretty solid game here. We got the get the Bucks, the 49ers upcoming this Sunday. Take it from here, bro. So obviously the 49ers they make Tua look like a child. And they just absolutely annihilated the offense of the Miami Dolphins that everybody was just obviously hyping up, rightfully so, with the league's leading receiver and Tyreek Hill and upcoming Jalen Waddle. And then you go into the Buccaneers, who have been hot and cold, to say the least, week in and week out. One week, the offense is inept. The next weekend, the defense can't stop a cold. So they are the definition of up and down. So Kyle, with Tom being your boy, and of course, Tua being one of the more up-and-coming stars in the AFC, or should I say within the quarterbacks of the AFC, who do you think comes out on top between this matchup of the Florida teams? Florida teams? Tampa and Miami. Oh, t- wow, I'm tripping. The bu- Dude, I just had a whole brain fart. The Bucks are... I'm looking at the Dolphins on this screen here, and yeah, I know on. that I'm talking about the Bucks and the 49ers. Excuse me? I revamped the question. With Brock Purdy <laughs> being the quarterback of the 49ers. And obviously, his inexperience going up against the GOAT. I mean, can you really phrase it in another way? Who the hell is coming out of this game with that 49ers defense or Tom Brady in that offense? I'll be honest with you, Kev. I have more faith in that 49ers defense simply just because when you look at their defense going up against a team like the Buccaneers, who in the past have had a really good offense, I would say the Bucs would win this one quite handily, but that has not been the case this year. The 49ers have the edge defensively over the Bucs because the Bucs offensively, it is tough to watch them. We could look back to when the Bucs played the Saints on Monday night, and it took pretty much 57 minutes for the Bucs to get their act together and string along some drives to be able to get some points on the board. But those first 56 minutes of the game against the Saints, the Bucs couldn't do anything they scored three points Brady was getting frustrated on the sideline he was probably cursing up a storm on the sideline just because they couldn't get any consistent drives going and like I said if it wasn't for the last three minutes where Brady was able to lead two touchdown drives with one being the game winning drive for Tampa Tampa was probably going to lose that game and for them to beat the Saints by one point 17 to 16 that is not a good look going into this game granted they won the game but it took pretty much a little bit of Brady magic and a little bit of luck for them to win that game. And you really can't have that going up against the 49ers. The 49ers, albeit they lost Jimmy G for the year due to a broken foot, and they have Brock Purdy starting at the quarterback position. It's their third quarterback this year. They already lost Trey Lance 
for the rest of the year due to a torn ACL earlier in the season. Now that you got Jimmy broken out, foot, broken foot. I was talking about Trey Lance. And he Trey Lance, I thought I, I thought Trey Lance broke his foot and his ankles and stuff. Like, wasn't it the foot? No, Trey Lance tore his ACL. Hmm. No, Jimmy broke his foot. I know that. So, you want to double check? Yeah, I'm absolutely double checking. Towards this, yeah. Hey, I put Trey Lance, and then and they put up you, Jimmy G. You you've been having a tough time with the technology Dude, tonight, man. Remainder of this doesn't even tell me what the hell he got hurt. What injury did he suffer? Fractured his right ankle. I know it's not ACL. Fractured. I knew it was a foot. Well, you or said. Ankle. Well, you said foot. It's I said foot ankle. or ankle. I said foot or ankle. I thought he tore his ACL, but nonetheless. No, 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 no. It said fractured his right ankle in the first quarter of the game against Seattle. Okay, I stand corrected. So, but with that said, nonetheless, you got Brock Purdy in there, third string quarterback, and I will say, with him coming in relief for Jimmy G last week, he played solid. And all things considered, I thought the 49ers were still effective. They put up over 30 points in that game. The defense was able to force turnovers against uh, Tua and the Dolphins, like Kevin just outlined uh, in the lead-up. And if that 49ers defense is able to bring effective pass rushes against Tom Brady, which I will say, when it comes to the Bucks' offensive line this year, it's been questionable. And if they're able to stifle that Buccaneers run game, which is not good by any stretch of the imagination... That 49ers defense, I think they're going to have their ears pinned back on this game. And there's a very good chance that they could limit the Bucs to possibly 10 to 14 points. To me, the question is whether or not this 49ers offense led by Brock Purdy can have a similar type performance that they had against the Dolphins. I don't know if it's going to be the case. The reason why I think they, they were so effective last week was their defense forced three or four turnovers in that game. I don't think you're going to get that in this game. The one thing about Brady and the Bucs this year is they have not turned the ball over consistently this year. Brady only has three interceptions the entire year. And I would assume most of the turnovers that they've had this year have been fumbles, but those are kind of few and far between. So to me, the Brock led offense has to be able to put up at least 14 to 17 points here. I think that's really all they need. If they could be able to get that, I think they, they could rely on their defense to be able to win them the game. And, that could settle the difference as far as I see it. The 49ers do not need to put up a lot of points in this game to win this one. Just because the Bucs have struggled to get 20 points. I mean, we're not talking about 25, 30 points. We're talking about 20 points. And that's despite the fact that they have Tom Brady at the helm. I think Nick Boza, Fred Warner, their front seven is going to be ready to go and, you know, make life a living hell for Brady and the Bucs. So... To me, the question is whether or not the question is not whether the defense is going to play up the stuff. I think that's the case. I think it's whether or not that Brock's could be able to get it done against the Bucks defense. And I think when you guys got Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and Kittle, you can throw Jawan Jennings in there for extra credit. I think that's more than enough pieces to be able to overpower this Bucks defense, albeit a good defense in Tampa. And I think they could probably get somewhere around 20 to 23 points in this game. So as far as I see it, I got the 49ers winning this one. I'm going to say by 7 to 10 points. I think they're going to be able to shut down uh, that Tampa-led offense or Tampa offense led by Tom Brady. And I think overall, I think the 49ers win this one fairly comfortably. I just see this result playing out 
on Sunday. And to me, unless the Bucs can put up 20 points in this game, I don't think they're going to be able to win this game. 49ers defense is just too good as far as I see it. I got the 49ers as well. I think it's going to be a blowout. You've already outlined plenty of information. The Bucks' offense struggles. Their defense has days off, like I had said before. We're talking about the league's best defense with one of the best pass rushers in the game. I will highlight, though, there are some injuries to pay attention to on the San Fran side. Nick Bosa, limited with a hamstring injury, didn't practice on Thursday. Debo Samuel, a quadriceps injury. He was limited at practice today. Christian McCaffrey, he was limited on practice today as well with a knee injury. And then Eric Armstead, another defensive end that helps and assists... Um, Nick Bosa on the other side. He was also limited with a foot and ankle um, coming off of his injury from earlier this year, if not last year. Uh, and he was limited in Wednesday's practice. So some big key components here for both the offense and the defensive side for the 49ers to monitor. And hopefully they'll be clear to play for Sunday. Uh, but at the end of the day, even if they don't play, I mean, hypothetically, if Eric doesn't play and if maybe Debo doesn't play, I think that San Francisco has enough weapons offensively to do what they need to do. Lean on the run game. Do what you need to do. Obviously, you have McCaffrey if he's available and so on and so forth. I think that the 49ers are one of the best teams in football, especially when they're able to get to the quarterback and force turnovers. This defense is no joke. This offense could have Joe Namath at his age right now just throwing dump passes to Christian McCaffrey with 15 receptions, and I still think that that defense is going to find a way to either force Tom Brady to turn the ball over with a strip sack, force him to throw an interception, force a fumble. I mean, th this defense is just swarming. Four turnovers last week against a younger, mobile Tua Tungavailoa. Obviously, it was three against him and then one against the backup, which was Skylar Thompson, if I'm not mistaken. We're talking about a 45-year-old Tom Brady that isn't exactly a mobile quarterback in the slightest. And when pressured with the ineptitude of their offensive line, I think that they are going to get to the quarterback pretty often and consistently. I think that this defense could easily put up at least or should I say limit the the Buccaneers to like a, to a high of like 14 points, maybe 10 points. I think that this is going to be somewhere along the lines of 21, 24 to 10. I think San Fran rolls. I think that Brock Purdy maybe has a struggling game because again, I think that Todd Bowles is going to dial up some blitzes and, and really rush the quarterback to kind of make him a little rattled, unsettled, not to really give him a lot of time. And the Bucs are known to have one of the better rush defenses when they feel like it. But again, they've been up and down this season. So I say that Christian McCaffrey has a breakout game. They're really going to lean on the running attack if he's available. And uh, San Fran shines and they move on to 9-4. and four, And Tampa falls to 6-7. and seven. Yeah, I think you laid it out perfect. You know, when I look at this game, to me, it's going to come down to whether or not the Bucs can put up 20 points in this game. And based off of recent experience or recent history, that has not been the case. Bro, they struggled to get 17. The fact that they won by one point against the Saints and they took, like I said, 57, 57 minutes, minutes to get their shit together, that's not a good look. Yeah, and, that, and, and that was coming off a game against the Browns where they scored 17 points. So they've struggled this year offensively. And I will say, you know, just because that you and I have probably assumed at this point that the 49ers aren't going to make a Super Bowl run now that Jimmy's out doesn't mean that they're not going to be a viable team. I think that defense by it itself Hell can yeah. carry them pretty them far relevant. in their play. Yeah, I mean, I, if they play their cards right and they just find ways to be consistent enough on the offensive side of the ball, they're going to win the NFC West. I will say, though, if you're the Seahawks, there's potentially a little blood in the water for them to take advantage of because if, if Jimmy's out and Brock doesn't step up to the plate and really plays ball... For the 49ers. I'm just saying the Seahawks could have a path there. But I think it's all dependent on whether or not that Brock steps up. I'm not going to really question the defense. 
the defense, because Brock is in, I think they're already more aware than they need to be. Or they're playing at a higher level just because they know that they have a little less uh, margin of error. And I think that's going to be the catalyst for them to possibly win games. It's going to be the defense that I think is going to get it done. And I think when it comes to Brock Purdy, I think it's mostly just going to be manage the game, but they have the pieces to be able to still put up points. I mean, Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, Brendan Ayuk, I mean, those guys are going to cook. And then on top of that, you got George Kittle. Bro, they're fine. It's just Brock's got to make the plays. And if Brock could do that, 49ers can make a decent playoff run, bro. I'm not going to rule that out. No, definitely not. I love what Fred Werner said just to kind of close this out before we move on to our last NFL topic. He had all the confidence in the world in Brock. He said it at the podium. He's faced the league's best defense in practice for 13 straight weeks. And apparently those two talk shit to each other every day at practice. And it's friendly, of course. You know, like he said that the kid is confident. He's always finding ways to, you know, slip one by. He said one play I get him, the next play he gets me. And that says a lot for the Mr. Irrelevant pick. You know, I know that that joke gets tossed around year in and year out. The last pick of the draft is normally someone that doesn't really matter. It's just to pretty much call their name so they can say they got drafted. But, I mean, in cases like this where he's got to step up as the third-string quarterback and, you know, he, he wins a big game for, you know, a team last week stepping up for Jimmy Garoppolo. This is his opportunity to show last week wasn't a fluke. And uh, if the defense has faith in him and the defense lets him know, especially in moments like that in front of the media, like, we got his back. That's huge, and that's huge confidence boost for a young quarterback. So as long as he knows he doesn't have to go out there and put up Patrick Mahomes' numbers, 400 yards, five, five, six touchdowns, don't turn the ball over. Keep the ball away from the opposing quarterback and be efficient. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be a good game, I think. Um, eh, never mind. I predicted a blowout. I think that the 49ers roll them no matter what. I'm trying to be nice to Tom, but I, I'm I, sorry. They've, they've I, struggled too much. I think to me, the only thing that's going to keep the Bucks in the game is if their defense steps up. But Tampa's defense is dinged up too. So, I was just about to say, they got their own injuries to worry about. I, I'm just saying, I mean, it took damn near a miracle for them to beat the Saints. And the Saints I would say are, that was a miracle. <laughs> and the Saints are a subpar team. Now they yes. got to go up against a better team of the 49ers. Blowout, bro. It's a shit show. It's over. I'm not going to say blowout because I got to see how Brock goes up against it a decent defense in Tampa. I got to see that first. But Dude, if Mac, Mac it, Jones had three passes and you guys slapped up Buffalo. If if Kyle wants to dial up, hand the ball off to Christian 30 times, that defense is not letting Tom score. I don't care if Tom has 15 attempts from, from the 50. I don't think that defense lets up. I'm sorry. Between the offensive line, the injuries on the offensive side, too. One weekend, Julio's ready. One weekend, Mike Mike Evans is dropping passes. One weekend, Leonard Fournette's not available. It's it's insane. It's it's it, I, Again, Tom has bad games, but this has been arguably the worst season in his career because everything around him is falling apart. And in turn, that makes him perform poorly. You're go- We're talking about a team that just beat one of the more up-and-coming competitive teams in the Miami Dolphins. Tua Tonga-Vailoa, if he played the entire season without that concussion, I think that he'd be the, in the MVP conversation if he doesn't have a bad game like he does last week. If he throws two interceptions, no fumble, you know, maybe. But, dude, that solidified the 49ers, and they have injuries on that side as well. And they're still that good. This is no joke. Tom's not going to be able to breathe, bro. We're talking like you said he had, what, a second or two to throw last week? He still wasn't able to get the ball out? like Before bro, a holding penalty. 
before, before holding. Come on, man. We're talking about Nick Bosa, one of the fastest DNs off the line of scrimmage. And yeah, if but... Armstead plays, come on, man. I know it's your boy. I'm not being a hater. It's just the proof is in the statistics. They struggled against the Saints. <laughs> I know. I know. It's the Niners, the only, bro. Like I said, the only thing that I could point to that could be is Brock just turning it over or something like that. No, 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 not even that. Is if Tampa doesn't turn the ball over. And that's the one thing I will give Tampa credit this year. It could be worse. They could be turning the ball over like freaking Jameis was four or five years oh, 30 ago. For 30? Had, yeah, exactly. I mean, Tom has three interceptions this year. You know, Nuts. we're we're in December. Granted, his, you know, touchdown number isn't impressive. It was like 14, just, 15? Somewhere around there. It's in the mid-teens, I think. Could be even the lower teens at this point. I think it might be like 13 or 14 touchdowns. Crazy. But I'm just saying, like, that's the one thing that could even be making it worse. I Granted, they're not scoring, and that's true. I'm just saying that it could be even worse if Tom was compounding it with turnovers. And in this game, it could be one of those games where Tom doesn't turn the ball over, but there's just no drive sustained. Yeah. And the only thing that I'm pointing to is that 49ers defense is going to show up. They are not going to slack off in this game. They're they're going to force Tom, I think, to be just in a bad mood the entire day. He's going to get frustrated. I already know that's going to happen. <laughs> to that's me, the question is whether or not that. Day. To me, it's whether or not that Brock's going to step up for the 49ers. Yeah. If Brock can play good football against that Bucks defense, then it could potentially be a blowout. What I'm banking on in this game, I still put the 49ers to win this game. Yeah, I mean, I, I would think, hope so. I, if you didn't, I, I'd, I'd, I'd tell you to go get checked. I, I think what's going to happen, though, I think Brock is going to have a difficult time at first going up against that Bucks defense. I think second half adjustments are going to kick in, and I think the 49ers kind of run, run away with it in the second half. That's how I kind of see the game playing out. I think the Bucks will kind of keep it close in the first half, but those second half adjustments, I think they're going to favor San Francisco in this one, and I don't think the Bucks are going to be able to combat it offensively. I think it's really just that simple. Yeah, the but bro, the bus might be lucky to score fourteen points. That's what I'm saying, bro. I don't think they, I don't even think they score fourteen. I think it's like ten I max, and that's being I generous because I, 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 dude, I think they're gonna sack him at least six, seven times. I don't know about six or seven because Brady might get the ball out quick. I think he'll he'd rather get the ball out within a second or two instead of taking a sack. And not only that, he's probably getting rid of the ball so quick because he knows the offensive line is probably gonna get caught holding. Donovan Smith had a couple holding penalties last week, and I think if I remember correctly. Donovan Smith is the highest penalized offensive lineman in the entire league. He has the most holding penalties compared to, I think, any other player. If it was, if it's not that, I think it's the highest penalized tackle in the NFL. It's one of those two areas. But he, I'd rather, I'd rather have a hold than watch my quarterback get injured at the end of the day. So I know we kind of extended this out probably longer. Than a little bit, to, but but no, the 49ers are going to win that game. It just depends on. How much are they going to win the game? Yeah, I just don't have faith in Tampa. Their offense nope. is zero. They just—they're not doing it this year. But with that said, the last game that we're going to go over is going to be a pretty solid AFC matchup uh, going into the Sunday night affair between the Miami Dolphins and the Los Angeles Chargers. I almost said San Diego there. It still happens that, all the time, bro. Bro, every every time I gotta almost kind of think twice before I say it. Uh, but when we look at the Dolphins and the Chargers going into this game, I got this one. Don't forget, I got to kick that one. No, it's it's to me, dude. I'm I'm having an off night tonight. My head is in the clouds. Please proceed. I apologize. No, you good. You you good, bro. Uh, no, just to kind of give you guys a quick recap of where both teams stand. 
Uh, we got the Dolphins sitting at an eight and four record. I know we just kind of talked about it a couple of minutes ago. They got smacked up by the 49ers on the road last week. So they're looking to bounce back. And when we look at the Chargers, they're sitting at a six and six record. And they had a pretty tough loss to the Los Angeles, not Los Angeles, to the Las Vegas. Right. I'm d- dude. Yeah. Just one of those nights, bro. A hundred percent. But um, no, the Chargers had a pretty difficult loss to the Raiders last week, and they're looking to bounce back to get above 500 uh, going into the second week of December. So, Kev, to kick this one to you, we got a matchup of the Dolphins against the Chargers, a game where both teams are looking to bounce back from respective losses last week. Who do you think is going to come out on top and why? Uh, I mean, I want to pick L.A. because I want to have faith in Herbert. I want to take the doubters away. I want people to stop saying that he's a bad quarterback. Um, When you talk about a quarterback like Justin, who's just coming to this league and dominated from day one, I mean, I've obviously coming out of Oregon, people didn't really have a lot of faith. If it wasn't for the whole Tyrod Taylor incident, he would not have played. But, I mean, God works in mysterious ways, and here we are, right? So... I, I have to pick Miami. I don't think that they're gonna they're, they're gonna go back to back and struggle in games like this. I think that two is gonna realize that you know when you go up against a defense like the 49ers, you have to play better. And this Chargers defense is no 49ers defense. So I think that Mike McDaniel's takes over this game and just annihilates the secondary. I think Tyreek Hill has a massive game. Um, he had a pretty big game last week. He just seemed to be open pretty much the entire second half as Miami was trying to claw back, but to a force some passes and you know. That's why he turned the ball over. Uh, without the consistent pass rush of the uh, of the Chargers, without the secondary that I know that they built up. I mean, Asante Samuel Jr. is still there. Derwin James is still there. But I just I don't think that that's enough to slow down Tyreek Hill. And I know that Jalen Waddle left that game last week, if I'm not mistaken, uh, with a little bit of an injury. So I'm trying to figure out if he's going to be on this injury report before I go and say he's going to play because I'm trying to scroll down to the Dolphins here on ESPN. Uh, Jalen Waddle isn't even on the injury report. Tyree Kill is. He's questionable. Hmm. That's odd. But anyway, um, and then you go into Miami's defense, and I think that Miami's defense is going to try to, you know, rush the quarterback. Last week, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, I think that the, the, the Raiders really got to Justin pretty early on, and they were able to kind of take him out of his rhythm, kind of take him out of his, his comfort zone. And if the Dolphins can replicate that pass rush and find a way to run the football effectively, I think that they're going to be able to take the ball and opportunities away from that Chargers offense. So I got Miami bouncing back. Again, I don't think this is going to be a blowout or even a close. I think this is probably going to be somewhere between 7 to 10 points. I think Tua has a pretty big game bouncing back. Like I said, I think he's probably going to have anywhere between 250 to 300 yards, maybe two or three scores. And uh, I think that Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson are going to find a way to... uh, run the football effectively. Like I said, this Mike McDaniels offense is going to bounce back, and I think that they beat, unfortunately, the uh, the Chargers, and the Chargers will fall to 6-7, and seven, and Miami will catapult back up to 9-4. Yeah, but I'm with you 100% on this one. I just, I can't favor the Chargers in this one. And to be fair, the Chargers, they are finally healthier than what they've been pretty much the entire year. It's just, They can't win these one-position games this year. They've largely struggled in those one-position games that have been very close for them. It's kind of almost kind of something that's really snake-bitten the Raiders this year, too, where they've just lost these really close games that end up being one-position games. It just it doesn't fall in the right side for them. And I think this is going to be one of those games that's going to be a one-position game, but it's 
I'm going to favor the Dolphins here as well. When I look at the Dolphins, I think the Dolphins from top to bottom are just a more well-rounded team. Now, granted, last week, they got smacked up by the 49ers. It's fair to say. And, you know, when you get beat by a third-string quarterback in Brock Purdy, definitely not a good look. But I look at that game as basically an anomaly. The Dolphins have been one of the more consistent teams, not only in the AFC East this year, but with the AFC to a larger extent this year. And it's largely been led by Tua Tagovailoa, who's been one of the best performing quarterbacks compared to any quarterback in the NFL this year. I know he's gotten a lot of shine in Pro Bowl voting uh, within the last week or so, and I think it's well-deserved. It's just last week, didn't have a good game, and I think this is one of those prime examples of that this is going to be a bounce-back game for him. And I will say, going up against this Chargers defense, which is just a shell of itself based off of how many injuries that they've had at key positions, I believe that Miami is going to be able to score effectively against this Chargers defense. I will say, you know, to kick it over to the Chargers with Justin Herbert leading the way offensively for them, I do think that there is a potential for points to be scored on their side as well. If if the 49ers could score 33 points against the Dolphins, now granted, the 49ers defense played a huge factor in that game with turning the ball over four times against the Dolphins in that game, so they were just running and gunning defensively. I still believe the Chargers can get some points here. I still believe that Justin Herbert is a solid quarterback to get you points on the board, and when you've got requisite pieces to throw to, I think points can come I'm not going to say easily, but there's going to be opportunities had for the Chargers to get possibly 20 to 25 points if they play their cards right. I just have more faith that Tua, with the with the weapons that he has at his disposal, with Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, and the pieces that they have in the running back core, that they could be able to put somewhere around 25 to potentially 30 points just because that Chargers defense is not what we expect it to be this year. Granted, injuries have played a huge part, like I just outlined a little bit ago. But I just don't have faith that that Chargers defense is going to be able to hold up against Miami's offense. And I don't believe that the Chargers defense is going to be able to force turnovers like the 49ers were able to last week against Tua, which essentially led to that game just being an outright runaway against the Dolphins in that one. So as far as I see it, I got the Dolphins winning one winning this one by the score of, I'm going to say somewhere around 27 to 20. I think it's going to be a very similar score to what the Chargers were faced with last week against the Raiders. Uh, They lost that game, I believe, 27 to 20 as well. I think it's going to be a very similar type of result for the Chargers in this one. But as far as I see it, I think the Dolphins get a bounce back win here. I think Tua is going to have a relatively solid game. He's going to probably put two or three touchdowns up on the board. And I think he's going to be the difference maker in this one. I think he's going to be the one that makes most of the plays that need to be made compared to Justin Herbert. And with that said, you know, Kevin, I'm with you. I think the Dolphins bump up to 9-4. and four. I think they kind of make things interesting in the AFC East once again, or right alongside the Bills for that top spot. And we'll see how it transpires with them, which is a couple weeks to go left for the season. But in this one, I got the Dolphins over the Chargers. It sucks. We talk about this every week, I feel like, and it's just unfortunate that the Chargers have fallen the way that they have. Um, Mm -hmm. Who knows if Brandon Staley, their head coach, is even going to come back with all the scrutiny and close games that they've lost. I mean, you can't blame a head coach for for people being hurt. I mean, that that just wouldn't be fair. Injuries happen. It's a part of the game. But 
when you lose players of, of this magnitude, you know, your free agents, I mean, you go and you lose one of your best players, Joey Bosa, you go and you lose JC Jackson, you go and you lose Keenan Allen for the majority of the year, you lost Mike Mike Williams for a good portion of the season. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, Justin Herbert even has hit, had his fair share of injuries as well with the ribs. Mm-hmm. So it's just like every every corner the Chargers have t- taken and turned, it's just somebody else is hurt. So again, you feel for them. But I just read a report somewhere that Adam Schefter is reporting that the, the Chargers are already talking to Justin's camp about making him the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. And again, this is just going to be a trend with all these young quarterbacks. He's going to break the bank. Then Lamar's going to get an offer. And then, of course, you know, all these other young, like Joe Burrow's going to get a massive extension. It's just, bro, the, 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 soon we're going to get to a point where quarterbacks are making like $100 million a year because it, it's just record breaking every year. And I'm not going to get into that narrative. I'm just saying despite how much he struggled in Justin Herbert this year, the Chargers clearly still have faith that he's the quarterback of the future, and he's one of the best quarterbacks, or young quarterbacks in the league. In the league. So um, I'll kind of end it on that note. You know, like I said, I just, I just feel for the Chargers. I really do. No, I, I'm not going to say that, like, Justin's, like, career is, like, in trouble or anything like that. No, 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 he's, no, no, no. It's just you, you feel for it because there was so much hype behind it. It was one yeah. injury after another. You're like, damn, it another happens. person went down. It happens. I mean, it started with right. Rashawn Slater. When Slater went out for the year, that was a huge piece that they were missing on their offensive line. And, I mean, it had an impact right away because, I mean, remember against the Chiefs where he got cracked in the ribs? Yeah. It was just because of the pressure that the Chiefs were able to bring effectively against him. And the Chiefs don't really have a top-tier defense. So it kind of goes to show how many issues they were dealing with on their offensive line. And, I mean, you know, when you get bit by the injury bug and the way that they got bit by the injury bug was I mean don't, don't get me wrong like no team is exempt from injuries they got hit with it relatively hard compared to some other teams this year and I think it had a detrimental effect that's going to probably keep them out of the playoffs this year I mean granted you know never say never they still actually have a pathway to potentially make the playoffs but it might be one of those last AFC wildcard spots but it just seems like the odds have been stacked against them, and it's really been based on all of these injuries. And yeah. it sucks because I will say, if the Chargers were fully healthy, they had all their guys in all their key positions, they'd probably be running neck and neck with the Chiefs right now. But, you know, it's not the case. Injuries have played a factor, and here we are. It's been, it's, it's been a major reason why that they've basically been a 500 record team this year. They've basically been average as far as I see. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And that's gonna that's kind of going to close our NFL topics. We're going to head on our NBA conversation, which is the Boston Celtics being the best team in the NBA. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at the standings right now, and obviously with them being at the top of the Eastern Conference, the Celtics are 21-5. and They are 14-5 and against the Eastern Conference alone, but they are 10-2, and excuse me, 11-2 and at home with a three-game win streak currently as it stands. They absolutely annihilated the Phoenix Suns just two nights ago by the time you guys hear this by 30 plus points at one point, maybe even 40. And um, they just look like they're kind of just hitting on all cylinders right now. Tatum's playing great. Jalen Brown's playing great. Obviously, Malcolm Brogdon has had some decent games. Marcus Smart, the anchor to that defense and so on and so forth. So Kyle, I'm just going to propose this one to you just because, I mean, obviously I, I don't watch any Celtic games aside from the fact that the, the the game they played against the Mavericks on Thanksgiving where we got blown out by damn near 30. What do you think has contributed to the Celtics' success thus far this season? 
it's been their offense. And that's really as simple as I could put it. Kev, when it comes to their offense, this is a historic type of offense we're seeing here. I mean, not only are they the best team in the Eastern Conference, they're the best team in the NBA. I mean, when you look at them, they're 21 and 5. They've won over 80% of their games. If I remember correctly, I don't know if any other team is even in the 70% winning percentage. So it really kind of goes to show how dominant the Celtics have been this year. But it's really based on their offense. They're the highest scoring team in the league. I believe they have the highest field goal percentage in the league. They have the highest three-point field goal percentage in the league. And they also have the highest free throw percentage compared to any other team in the NBA. When you're dominating in those four categories, you're going to be unstoppable offensively. They're scoring over 120 points per game. That's their average, which is absolutely nuts. Granted, it's December. It's not even Christmas Day yet. We still have a long way to go. But the fact that they are this good, this early, it really goes to show that they have gotten over that finals loss to the Warriors extremely well. And when you compare it to the Warriors, the Warriors have been relatively subpar this year so far. So it really goes to show they got over that finals loss to the Warriors really quickly. And they are looking straight towards the future here. And as far as I see it, I mean, Jason Tatum has just been an absolute dog this year. He's been killing it. And you tie that with what Jalen's been able to provide, what Marcus has been able to provide. This team is essentially unstoppable right now. The main thing I'm going to focus with them, though, is what's going to happen for the next couple of months. Because I think it's fair to say they've gotten off to a fantastic start. But there's going to be a point in time where those shots are not falling, where those three-point shots are not falling. And the team is going to have to rely on their defense to be able to get them wins. And I do believe that they could be able to transition from this high-powered offense that's been just lighting up the scoreboard and putting up 110, 115, 120 points, even against the Phoenix Suns. I think they scored over 125 points, or they scored 125 points. There's going to be a point in time where they're going to have to win some gritty, tough games. And I do believe that defensively, they could still bring that presence when they need to. It's just they haven't really been able to do that because the offense has really just taken it by storm this year. So, you know, with them being the best team so far this year, it's just a credit. It's really just a, a credit to the core that they have and the fact that they were able to get over that Warriors finals loss this quickly. It's really a testament to them. My main thing is whether or not that they can be able to maintain it going into the months of January, February, and March. Because if they can transition this over into 2023 and have this offense playing at the level that they're at going into the playoffs, this is going to be a tough team to tackle when it comes to the playoffs. And I, I know Kevin would probably like to say that they use that they will use that Warriors loss in the finals as fuel and motivation to get back this year. It looks like they have gotten that pretty much down to a science at this point. So as far as I see it, you know, the Celtics are not to be trifled with. They're the best team in the NBA for a reason. Their offense is just playing at a historic level as far as I see it. And we'll see whether or not they can transition it into 2023. But Kev, the floor is yours. Dude, I will slightly disagree with you saying that they're over the hump or the emotional, I guess, toll that they took uh, this past June. I think that that is fueling them. I think that it's the opposite. I think that they're not letting that emotion go. I don't think they're letting that disappointment um, leave them. I don't think that they're going to allow themselves to forget that pain. I mean, I think Jason Tatum kind of like had an interview 
earlier this month where he was kind of asked, you know, how do you bounce back from a finals performance? And he kind of equivalented it to, again, it's a little bit on the dramatic side. I never said this. He did. He's like, it's like being broken up with a girl that you've been in love with for years. He's like, I've wanted a championship since I was a kid. I've wanted to chase hardware and, you know, play in the NBA for my whole life. And this was the closest that I got. And he's like, I just, I didn't want to do anything. He's like, after the finals, I went home. I, I stared at my ceiling for hours until I fell asleep. I didn't want to leave the house. And I think he took that opportunity similar to Kobe. And he took that time to perfect his craft. You know, after he had that emotional hangover, that sadness, those couple days, that week or two or whatever it is that he decided to do, he went right back into the lab and, and, and he was working hard. And I think that's showing out. I mean, Jason Tatum is an MVP candidate in this league and he's averaging over 30 points a game. And I mean, the, the man is just firing on all cylinders. I mean, I, and I know people say that they're the best duo in the league in terms of Jalen and Jason, but I think that they might be even two of the best two-way players in the game. You can make the argument that they're the most competitive, complete backcourt in the league. And I know that Jason plays the the, the, the three, because either Smart or Brogdon plays the two, or excuse me, the one, but it's just like they're like the two of the best two-way players in the league. I think they're two of the more offensively gifted players in the league. And then, of course, I mean, Kyle and I were a part of the group that thought that because Ime Udoka was going to be a big distraction, that uh, this team might even falter even further past that point. And uh, they're proving all the doubters wrong. They're proving all the critics wrong. I mean, like they just beat the Nets, they beat the Raptors, they blew out the Suns, and this Saturday coincidentally, as we're talking about them coming over there or getting over that finals loss, they play the Warriors for the first time this season in Golden State on Saturday, primetime at 8.30 on ABC. That is a must-watch televised game. The Warriors are struggling. The Celtics are hot. Could this be their opportunity to show them, like, yo, we got you out this year. We'll see you in the finals again. I mean, they may not even get to the finals the way that the Warriors are playing because of how much they're struggling, but again... I think, again, I slightly disagree with my partner. I don't think they're over anything. I think they're kind of keeping that anger, frustration, disappointment, whatever adjective or emotion you want to describe to them losing in the championship series. I think they have that in a little box, and they're just put right in their pocket. And they're like, yo, I'm not, I'm not letting this go. It's like hanging something in your locker that you kind of just look towards for all year, whether that's the NBA trophy, whether that's the Warriors lifting their banner. I don't, I don't really know what it could be. But I think that the Celtics are no joke, and I agree with Kyle in the sense of it is way too early to be crowning anybody as a finals favorite, a championship favorite. Again, we're talking about December before Christmas. If this was the All-Star break, if this was February going into March, I'd be like a little bit more like, okay, this is pretty serious. But we've seen multiple teams in multiple sports have hot starts to the beginning of the season, Yankees. And then falter in the second half. So we will see as it progresses. I know the basketball and baseball are two different sports. I'm just saying a fast start doesn't necessarily equivalent to a, a strong ending. So let's hope that they continue this for their sake. Um, and I think truthfully and honestly that the Celtics have impressed me personally. I know that I'm not anybody to be impressed. I'm not a professional or anything like that. But I enjoy seeing the highlights of them coming back in close games, watching them beat blowout teams like the Suns. I really enjoy when the Suns lose lately. It's just it's kind of fun to watch. But... Um, Overall, I am happy for Jason Tatum and, the, and this supporting cast that they have been able to kind of bounce back from that loss and uh, loss in the finals. And they're uh, carrying suit this season. 21-5 and five is no easy feat, man. So shout out to the Celtics. Yeah, and, you know, I kind of want to focus on the, the point that you made about the fuel and the motivation of them um, using that finals loss as fuel going into this Kobe year. did it. Yeah, and... I will say, like, what I mean by that is is that they didn't let that finals loss deter them. 
they didn't let the they didn't let that affect them to the point where they have basically a mediocre or subpar start. And I will say, you know, when it comes to the Celtics, they were facing a lot of drama going into the season with the whole Ime Udoka thing and what was going up in the higher ups of the executive offices. They were able to put that to the side and they were able to focus on basketball. And as far as I see it, they've been rather successful at that. I think to me, it's just whether or not they, they could be able to maintain it. And Kevin, I think we've talked about this time and time again. Even though the NBA season starts in November, it doesn't really start ramping end up. End of October. After, end of October. I, don't, I forget when the actual preseason ends. It's, yeah. late, Octo- late October, early November. But, you know, besides that, the NBA season, as far as I see it, really doesn't start hitting its stride until probably after Christmas Day going into the new year. And I think, you know, once we start kind of approaching that halfway point in the season, we're going to have a better feel of where the Celtics stands and a, a lot of other teams stand as well, just because, you know, when it comes to the first quarter of the season, teams are still figuring it out. I mean, hell, I mean, the first like two or three weeks, I mean, guys are still trying to get into game shape, into game speed. So, you know, who knows? Are, are the Celtics the best version of themselves right now? Maybe, maybe not. We'll see what happens over the next couple of months. But I have to say, just based off of where we're at right now, they're off to a good start. Their offense is scoring I mean, just a ridiculous amount of points consistently. And we'll see whether or not it can continue. You know, but overall, 21 and 5, that's a really good start. So I know you'd be a lot more happier if the Mavs could do something like that. But I know you have your issues with Luka and his play style. Play Jaden. That's all you got to say. Play Jaden. Reggie Bullock is shooting like 28% from the field. Play the rookie. Scored 10 points in two minutes. Play the fucking kid. Mm-hmm. No, I feel that. But before we round out this episode, I know Kev probably has some thoughts on Aaron Judge. I think as you guys know, Aaron Judge re-signed with the Yankees on a nine-year, $360 million deal. Quite a deal for the guy. And he will be a member of the New York Yankees until the age of 39, correct? 39. He's 30. So I know Kev was a little bit pessimistic about this Aaron Judge deal getting signed where he would be a member of the Yankees for the foreseeable future, but it has happened. And uh, unfortunately for John Heyman, he was incorrect with his initial statement saying that he was going to go to the Giants, which I think at this point is probably a social media uh, freezing cold take, as they like to say. There's, I know there's a whole Twitter page dedicated to freezing cold takes and, uh, that one's definitely going to be a legendary one as far as I see it. But no, for the foreseeable future, Judge is going to be a member of the Yankees. And now the question is, is whether or not they could be able to turn a World Series championship from it. So, Kev, to kick this one to you, now that Aaron Judge is going to be a member of the Yankees for the next nine years, do you see him potentially bringing a World Series title back to New York? Uh, before I answer that question, I'm going to take my hat off. I'm going to apologize. You know, obviously, I, I bashed him. I said he was going to be gone. I blame the front office and all these different things. My hair is a mess. That goes to show you I'm being genuine. Um, I will start this by saying I'm happy he's back. Without Aaron Judge on this lineup, this is going to be a shell of an offense. We're leaning on an injury-prone Giancarlo Stanton, a hot and cold uh, DJ LeMahieu at certain times with his injuries as well. Anthony Rizzo has been kind of like a consistent spark with Harrison Bader now there. Who knows how, how he does with a full season in the clubhouse. But again, I'm happy he's back. Put my hat on because I hate looking at my hair being an absolute shit show. 
Um, I will also start by saying for those of you that shat on Aaron Judge and said that, you know, enjoy him while he lasts, he's leaving. I thought he was leaving too. But for you guys to say he was going to the Giants prematurely, ha ha ha, ha ha ha, ha ha. And to all you Boston fans, ha 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 ha, Xander Borgoth is a padre, ha 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 ha. So worry about yourselves. Anyway, back to the topic. I had to troll a little bit. Um, I don't necessarily know about the World Series thing, man. I don't have faith in Boone. I don't have faith in his late-game adjustments. I don't have faith in his ability to, to, to manage a system, his bullpen suggestions, his, uh, his pitching changes, pinch hitting. I mean, from top to bottom, he, he has just made up and down, left and right, questionable calls pretty much all throughout the season. And um, he is the Yankee puppet. He is just straight in Cashman's pocket. Cashman is in Steinbrenner's pocket. Now, George, obviously, rest his soul. Hal, and, uh, you know, as, as much as I love Judge, as great as the season as he had, I'm happy that he won the MVP and yada, yada, yada. But when it comes to winning a World Series, it's a team sport. We need people that are going to put the ball in play, not just home runs. We need people that are disciplined at the plate. We need people that are disciplined in the infield. And we need good pitching. So, you know, we have a couple of different rumors out there that we're going to go after. Carlos Rondon or Rondon, whatever the hell his name is. Um, supposedly, we're trying to get Benintendi back. Supposedly, the Mets actually reached out to that Japanese pitcher slash outfielder, whatever position he plays, and the Mets look are looking to acquire him. So there's a lot of rumors as to what the Yankees are looking to do. Um, I think the hottest one is the Carlos Rondon one because he wants six years, upwards of over $120, $30 million, whatever the case may be. Um, and that's going to be a lefty starting pitcher that's coming from the Giants, ironically enough, the team the judge was supposed to go to. And uh, I think that he would solidify the starting rotation. Obviously, you're going to have Seve. You're going to have Cole. Unfortunately, James Taillon signs with the Cubs. Shout out to, uh, to, uh, to Tally or, you know, Taillon, whatever the hell the nicknames we call. JMO, excuse me. You know, um, appreciate you for what you did last season. I know the first season you were a Yankee, it was a bit of a struggle. But again, he was absolutely incredible last year. So again, you know, hopefully good luck to you in Chicago, but he would solidify and by he, I mean, Carlos would solidify the rotation in terms of adding a lefty to the, uh, to the starting rotation. So we'll see what happens. We, we re-signed Tommy Cahill, uh, who left for a year or two and, uh, you know, solidifies the bullpen. Hopefully when we get Michael King back and a couple of other of our, our, our bullpen major players, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens there. But, uh, I mean, I, just to kind of circle back on the Aaron Judge thing, I thought he was gone for sure. I mean, you know, rumors came out that the uh, the Padres offered him over 400. I mean, the, the Giants offered him over 390. They were willing to give him 10, 11 years, and he chose to take less money to be a Yankee for life. So once again, ha, 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 because people said that nobody wants to play for a shit organization, a shit fan base. And, uh, you know, I'm going to continue down these quotes because we're, we're, we're the worst in the world. We're dirtbags. We don't know how to appreciate players while we have them. Play uh, Fans that boo their teams don't deserve to have them in the first place. I mean, the list kind of goes on and on. And I trolled our TikTok comment section the second judge signed that deal. So, again, to all of you clowns, ha, 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 because uh, who's laughing now? We pretty much we, we, we still got what we got. The only people that can talk are Houston fans because they won the World Series. So, again, I give you your kudos. But Boston fans, Met fans, Giant fans, Dodger fans that come out of left field, um, kiss my ass. He's coming back home where he belongs. But um, again, I'm happy. I am pessimistic in the sense of a World Series because <laughs> judge or not, he's still batted terribly in the postseason. So I will be more ecstatic if we make the playoffs this year. And if he can give me a positive season, or should I say positive postseason, I have a little bit more faith. But when it comes to the regular season, I don't have a problem with him. You can go and score 80 home runs, hit for 350. 
up 200 RBIs. I don't give a shit. You can steal 78 bases. And I, don't, I don't care. If you don't perform when it matters most, you will get booed just like anybody else would in the city of New York, Philadelphia, and Boston. If your team does not get booed, if your fans don't boo certain players, between you and your organization, don't come, don't come at New Yorkers because that's what we do. Again, for the sake of the signing, I'm happy he's back. I'm happy that he didn't leave. It shows his character. He deserves to be the captain for the future. And again, overall, as a Yankee fan, uh, to answer the, the World Series question, I hope that he brings at least one in nine years. If not, we've wasted his career. We've wasted the potential of a lot of players that we've had over the course of the last five, six years. But again, we have the pieces to do it. It's just more so of leadership and management as to how we're going to combat the, uh, the rest of the season. But shout out to Aaron Judge for being loyal. Shout out to Aaron Judge for not chasing the bag. Big, big, big respect, and uh, happy he's back home. I remember I was watching a couple of videos on Twitter, and one of the videos that always points to Judge was, I think he hit a home run, and back in the dugout after he hit it, I think the one thing he did. He like, kissed, he, like, uh, kissed yeah. the Yankee logo. Yeah. So, I don't know if that was, uh, he, you know, Twitter can kind of get carried away with that. It's like saying, oh, he's definitely going to stay because he just did that. But it's like, no, I think that there were some good offers out there. I know the Padres definitely offered up some decent money. I think they were like up at like over four hundred million. They were, I think they were like up to four ten. I saw multiple reports, but I know it was over four, if not four flat, and that was a ten plus year. So he was going to get forty million regardless, but with more years. Yeah, and then the Giants, I I think, were probably somewhere in the ballpark around where the Padres were. So I mean, these teams were willing to shell out money towards Judge. Do you think that it was just the loyalty factor? played in with judge or do you think i don't know man i mean we talked about this off air and we talked about it at the very beginning of the episode he was in san diego for the last week he was seen in san francisco we know that he was meeting with other teams i mean he was in tampa which again you could construe the, the, the rays to come out of nowhere as a bitter but that's also no, the spring no, training the, the spin, spin. that's also the spring training facility for the yankees so once again it, it, does, it depends how you looked at it uh i didn't know I, I, I really, really didn't. And you know, I think it had to be a loyalty thing. I think he said he wanted to be a Yankee for life. And uh, the fact that our owner, Hal Steinbrenner, had to get on the phone because Cashman wasn't able to seal the deal says a lot about our GM. But at the same time, it says a lot about the organization wanting to keep a homegrown Yankee home for the rest of his life. And it was kind of like a give-me-the-phone type shit. What do you want? Do you want to be a Yankee or not? And Judge was like, absolutely, I do. And he kind of gave him the parameters of what he wanted to, you know, what he needed. And it was, it seemed to have just been an extra year because they were going to give him, I think, the three years, 320, excuse me, the uh, eight years, 320. He said, I need one more year. For whatever reason, that's what he wanted. He got the nine years. He got the 360. It averages up to 40 a year. He's the highest paid player. Good for him. But the fact that our owner had to jump on the horn, to me, again, is kind of ridiculous. But I'm happy that he did it. Hey, sometimes you need the owners to step up to make a pitch, bro. Sometimes. I I would imagine that George Steinbrenner probably did a fair share of making some statements that needed to be made. That's different. When it comes that's, to that's the boss, bro. That is the guy. That's the guy that walked into multiple board meeting rooms and said, I want him. I want him. Give them what they want. Like, dude, they called this the evil empire in the 90s and early 2000s for a reason. I mean, the guy just shelled out money like he was wiping it with his ass. That's how rich the Steinbrenner family is. I know, but, you know, I, I guess now I think analytics probably drive 
a big portion of the contract negotiations now. It's true. You know it. I know. It's stupid. The analytics are just dumb. I'm tired of it. They're good in certain situations, but just keep it out of the game, please. I think when it comes to Judge, I think he's one of those rare exceptions where you look at, no, he is the force. He is he's the, the Yankees. And I think when it comes to that captainship, it's very rare that you shelled out to a player of that magnitude. I think Judge lives up to that standard, though. He does. I, Everybody says that the team's morale, emotions, everything dictates off of him. Everybody yeah. feeds off of his energy. And if he is that impactful without the C, that to me, that just means when he does, you know, get that 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 proof, that peace. Again, that's just that that's going to be the icing on the cake, man. We haven't had a cap since Jeter, and I think that rightfully so, a homegrown drafted play. He deserves every every yeah. stitch, every piece of it. Yep. Yep. Like I said, that that captainship should not be given out lightly. Nope. And I think I to the credit of the Yankees, I think they know when to hand it out and when not to. Absolutely. We we so. in our history, I don't think we've had that many captains. Yankee. So Captain. I know Jeter was definitely one. I, I'd have to say probably like Joe DiMaggio was one. Probably, I don't know, like Mickey Mantle. I mean, I, I mean, you can go by the icons who have played for the Yankees. They probably had some sort of captainship back then. But There have been 15 captains of the New York Yankees. Uh, the position is currently vacant after the most recent captain. Of course, Jeter retired in 2014. So, yep, uh, Judge will be the 16th captain. There you go. That'll be interesting. So, I think it's well-deserved, though. I honestly Agreed. believe that. So He bet on himself, and it worked. 62 home runs, bro. There's really nothing more to say other than that. Let's hope he stays healthy. Knock on all shades of wood, whatever superstitions you want. And again, I want him to be happy. I want the team to be happy. But I also need a fucking World Series because I can't deal with these Houston fans. God damn it. Been what thirteen years, my guy. It's been a while. Trust me, I'm aware. I'm still letting my boss know at the top of every year. Yo, come October, I'm gonna need some time off. <laughs> if the Yankees win the World Series, I ain't you know gonna be I'm at going. work. If you if you if you if you tell me no, I ain't, I ain't gonna be here. I'm gonna hit the streets. Be hitting the streets. Oh, you know, yeah. I'm Facetime your ass, and I'm be sitting there in the middle of Manhattan, <laughs> L- losing your goddamn mind. I already know. I don't even know if I'll come back to Florida. I might come back with like one less shoe and like a broken hand. I don't know. I'm just, it's going to be crazy. And I'm going to say, how was it? And you were going to say something like, it was legendary. Epic. If it happens, again, if I'm blessed to see another Yankees title in my lifetime. It'll happen. It'll I will happen. enjoy myself very much. Bro, if they go like 30, 40 years without winning a chip, then you're in trouble. I, I, I think I would cry. Yeah. You, you, I already cried when we lost. So your health, your your health is going to deteriorate the longer this drought goes. I, yeah, my life but, expectancy may like, may dwindle the more we don't get a World Series. That's fair. That's fair. But Kev, I think that about wraps it up with us. I think uh, I think it's fair to say that this was probably one of the very few episodes where we legitimately struggled. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Mistakes, stuttering. Um, mispronunciations i mean you name it it's just you know with it being the holiday season um work schedules have been crazy obviously availability has been nuts 
uh, just overall tired. It's just it's it's been it's been a little bit for for the two of us, mainly my partner. So again, you know, we're doing the best that we can. Again, remember we 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 don't have the greatest equipment in the world. We don't have the flexibility of a schedule uh, like other podcasters do. We have real jobs every day, so we do we do what we can. We have fun when we do it. But you know, episodes like this during this time of year. It could be a frequent thing. Not that we're proud of it, but again, just bear with us. We're doing, like I said, we're, like a hundred times, we're doing the best that we can, and we're just enjoying what we do whenever we can do it. I mean, we covered a pretty decent slate, so yeah, and it's like one in done. the morning. <laughs> yeah, so just saying, you know, I imagine when we get back on the mics on Sunday night, you know, for a Monday upload, we'll be all right. Yeah, we should be straight, depending on, again, you know, whatever bro, happens with uh, bro, availability and shit. Dude, I, I mean, you know, the funny thing is, is probably going to look back at this when, because like what Kevin and I will do is what we'll review our episodes after we post them. I know, Kev, you and I are probably going to look at this one. It's like, Jesus Christ. Like, 100%. Like, I listen to it every day, like after, whether that's in between meetings, shower, while I'm cooking. And I'd be like, what the hell? What the fuck, what the fuck did I just say? It's, bro, like the Dolphins had four turnovers last game against the 49ers. They're probably looking at the film like, what in the fuck just happened? Yep. It happens, bro. Bro, we're what, like 150 episodes in? We're, just we're about. For, I think, what is it? What is this, 149? Or is this 150? Getting, we're getting close. We're getting close to 150. Or something it's like, like that. But it's like, bro, like, do to have one where. It's a smooth. It, it it doesn't go smoothly. So, it's yeah, whatever. agreed. But yeah, if you guys have been able to tolerate us at this point, we definitely appreciate you guys tuning in. Obviously, we'll have plenty of content rolling out throughout the weekend, so definitely stay tuned for that. If you guys listened on the audio platforms, if you guys watch us on YouTube, we definitely appreciate the support. We'll have a lot to cover uh, based on what we have of the Sunday games in the NFL, and then. We'll be back here on Monday, ready to rock and roll. And until then, hope you guys have a great weekend. Um, like we said last week, you know, it's getting close to Christmas, and hopefully you guys are able to get some Christmas shopping done. And, um, yeah, we'll be back on Monday, you guys. Kev, uh, the floor is yours to close it on out from here. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you later in the week. Have a good time. Be safe. Don't do anything that I would do. It's a long list, but... Um, talk to y'all soon, man. Have a great weekend. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-year-old white guys. Electric Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women.